Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you. We wanted to ask Randy and Nan Shepard to come out here because uh, next week will be their final weekend with us. Randy and Nan have been with us uh, here at our church for about 15 years. Randy has served on the elder board for many, many years, and Nan has served in the, in the preschool ministry here at our church, having really having grown that, literally doubled in size in the last few years. But we're so thankful for them, um, and it, it, it saddened us to learn that they uh, are moving to Temecula, wherever that is. Is that in the United States? <laughs> Uh, so they're moving to Temecula. I feel like God's moving them out there. And so uh, we just wanted to celebrate their lives and just thank them uh, for their service and, and really pray for them that God would just extend his blessings and favor upon them. And so that's what we want to do today. And uh, I know that this has been a very tearful journey for you uh, to leave us because, uh, because we're your family and, and you're our family. But... Um, Randy, I mean, just the way that you've served on the elder board and the wisdom that you have brought to us, particularly in the area of finances. He's just a whiz when it comes to that. And Nan and her love for children. They'll be here through Harvest Fest. And the next week will be next weekend will be your final weekend with us. And so will you just keep them in your prayers and take them out to dinner? I think they've got like 10 dinners every night this week. Uh, so jump in there and uh, hang out with them. They are just... Um, just such a beautiful couple. We're going to miss them dearly. So I asked, I'm going to ask Pastor Greg to pray for us. And, and uh, notice our elders, right? This is Randy, and then this is Rod, the way they're all dressed. This is kind of our elder board right here. But, uh, but that's kind of who we are, right? We're just kind of laid back and casual. But, uh, but let's pray for them. Pastor Greg, will you pray for, pray for them? Yeah, church, would you join me? And let's uh, extend our hands to uh, just this couple. Father God, we, we want to lift up our hands uh, in praise, first of all, thank you, God, so much that you love your church so deeply. Uh, thank you so much that you would uh, equip just the saints, Lord, that you equip your sons and your daughters with gifts, um, that you would equip them with um, just abilities, that you would fill them with your spirit. God, we, we've seen that is so true of Randy and Nan, Lord. It is so evident to us that the spirit of God lives in them. Lord, by the words that they speak, by the um, ways that they serve, Lord. Lord, we have seen the fruit of just their um, presence here and their service here in your church, God. And so, Lord, we, we can't help but to throw up our hands and just say thank you, God. Thank you so much. Thank you for saving them. Thank you for sending your son uh, to hang on the cross that they would um, be part of your kingdom and your family, God. And, Lord, we... Uh, are just so sad as a family to see them go, um, to leave. We know that we will see them again uh, from time to time and ultimately in heaven. But, Lord, it, uh, it, it, it hurts and it's sad that um, we won't see them every single week. But, Lord, we know that there is a church and there is a community in Temecula that, um, uh, that is ready for them. We pray that you would prepare that church for what's to come, for the changes that they will bring uh, with, with their service and their gifts. God, we uh, really pray that you also prepare uh, Randy and Nan for the amazing people that we trust you've prepared for them, that um, you would surround them with really good uh, community friends who will love them and be loved by them, Lord. We know you will take care of them, God. You're a good father. And uh, we know that they have truly put your kingdom first, that they really seek your kingdom and your righteousness, and so we know that you're going to 
provide all other things that they need. That's your word. That's your promise. So, Lord, we, we just thank you for that. And so, Lord, as a church family, we just continue to ask your blessing and your favor to be evidently upon them every single day um, over there in Temecula, Lord. So, Lord, use them in even greater ways than you've used them here. Use them more and more so. Expand their influence, their reach. Uh, may many, many, many souls be blessed, be touched, and even be saved uh, because of how you use them, Lord. So, Lord, we lift them up to you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and beautiful name. We all say amen. 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 We're going to miss them a whole lot. You know, it was uh, 9 a.m., sunny and warm. Arkansas State Trooper Garner took his position above the I-40 uh, overpass, uh, just a little bit east of Little Rock, when a 579 Peterbilt just flew right by him. Garner's instincts kicked in immediately, revved up his cruiser, flipped on his lights, flipped on the sirens, just, just uh, floored it. In about 90 seconds, he was right behind that uh, bright red tractor trailer. The trooper um, clocked the trucker going at about 92 miles an hour. And it's a good thing he thought. It's a good thing he thought that the main traffic was going the other direction toward the city. And it's a good thing that his trailer wasn't hitched up because if he lost control, it would certainly be catastrophic. And nevertheless, called it in. KJB 427, this is 1041, in pursuit of a 579 Red Peter built tractor on, I, on the I-40. After driving about a mile and a half, the trucker finally started pressing on his brakes and then slowly pulled over to the side, the cruiser right behind him. Miff, the, the state trooper, got out of his cruiser, approached the truck, the guy opened, rolled down his windows, and kind of indignantly, the, you know, Garner said to him, hey man, didn't you see me pull up behind you? I sure did, sir. Didn't you see the, the lights flashing behind you? He said, I sure did, sir. He said, didn't you, see the, 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 didn't you hear the siren blaring very loudly? I sure did, sir. Then why didn't you stop sooner? The, uh, the, the Arkansas State Trooper asked. And the trucker replied, well, to be honest with you, sir, a couple years ago, a state, a state trooper ran, away with my, ran off with my wife, and I thought you were trying to return her. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah, maybe you can use that the next time you get pulled over, but don't tell them your pastor told you about that. And I know the ladies don't really appreciate that one. But hey, you know, I, I wanted to tell you that funny story just kind of set things up here for you. We all have things that we're afraid of, right? Some of you may be afraid. Of, I mean, truly, you might be afraid of your spouse, your husband, or your wife. Maybe afraid of your boss. Maybe you're afraid of clowns, or maybe you're afraid of spiders, or maybe you're afraid of the dark. Maybe you're afraid of heights like I am, or enclosed spaces like I am. Or speaking in public, which I'm not. Maybe you're afraid of the future. Maybe you're afraid of your child's future. Maybe you're afraid of dying. Maybe you're afraid of that C word, cancer. What are you afraid of? You know, according to the Harris poll that was taken a few years ago, cancer topped the list of the diseases that Americans feared most. Number one on the list, even though the number one killer was heart disease. Everyone fears cancer. Well, if you've been around here for the last month, you will know that six, exactly six weeks ago yesterday, I was diagnosed with cancer, with adenocarcinoma, which is lung cancer, from which there's only a 17% survival rate after five years. 
Now, if you want to know the details about my cancer journey, you can uh, hear it all in, the, in, a, in a message titled The King of My Hearts, which is uh, on our YouTube page, SBCC Live. You can go there and, and check it out. But today, after having had surgery about 26 days ago, I am cancer-free, and I attribute that to all of your prayers because, as I've said to a number of you, I did not pray when I went into surgery when I came out of it. I did not pray that I would come out of it cancer-free. I prayed that whatever God had for me, that I would have the strength to get through it. It was all of you who prayed that I would be cancer-free. And so I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for praying for me. Um, insofar as how I'm doing today, you know, I'm st still in some pain from the incisions. Um, still a little discomfort after having done a service this morning. Uh, but I'm getting better. And this weekend, I wanted to come back and share with you this weekend and next and possibly the weekend after that, just some reflections that I've had about my journey. Uh, and these are kind of just personal reflections. So it's, it's kind of a, a different kind of a message, just kind of sharing with you some things that have been on my heart about, uh, in this particular case, about fear. Uh, my journey with cancer didn't actually begin six weeks ago with my diagnosis. It began about six months ago when I first felt some burning sensations in my chest. Felt these burning sensations and trying to figure out what that was. Also, at about the same time, I began to experience these piercing uh, pains in, my, in both of my shoulders. Now, I've always had a rotator cuff uh, problem here in my right shoulder. But this time, there was pain in my left shoulder, and this time, that pain was shooting down through both of my arms. And so that's kind of what was going on as well. And, and this would go on 24-7, even at night, which made it really hard to sleep at night because I had so much pain. Uh, doctor said, put a couple of pillows on each side of your arms to kind of elevate it, and that might help. And I tried to do that, and it really didn't help. And then when I'd go, for example, it was so painful that when I'd go to the ATM machine, I'd lift up, I'd have to lift up my left hand to, to get in the, uh, you know, to put in my, you know, my, my PIN number and to get my cash. And that was painful. I mean, it's even painful today to lift up, to raise my left arm. But what was even more painful is that when, is when the machine tells me that I had insufficient funds. That was, <laughs> that was really painful. Uh, also, at about the same time, what was going on with my health was that I would wake up almost every morning. I would wake up with a backache. And then my, I had a, a pain in my, uh, my abdomen as well, my stomach. That was kind of, it was really achy. And, and almost every day this was going on. Here's what I wrote in my journal on August the 22nd. So this kind of began uh, in, you know, mid to late April and May, and then, so here's what I wrote in, on August 22nd. Well, it's certainly been an interesting time, and without a doubt, the most difficult time that I've had health-wise since I was a teenager. So that just was referring to the fact that when I was 15, I, 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 I skipped my freshman year in high school because I was having all these seizures. But, uh, and, then it's, and then I wrote, it's been going on for months now, the exams, the uncertainty, a fair degree of fear and anxiety about the future, it seems like the perfect storm, a convergence of fatigue, rotator cuff pain, lung unknowns, chest discomfort, possibly from acid reflux, and back and stomach pain. So that's what has been going on with me since early spring, through the summer, and here even into uh, the fall. And there wasn't a single day in which I did not uh, 
think about this, and there wasn't a single day in which I felt like, I feel really good today. I'm 100% healthy today. And then when that shadow kept showing up in scan after scan after scan without a definitive conclusion as to what it was, that fear just started welling up inside of me. I mean, it just, it, the fear started welling, welling up inside of me. And for the first time in my life, I actually thought, this might not end well. This might not end well. And of course, when I thought that, thought about my wife, I thought about my daughters, I thought that maybe I may not be around to walk them down the aisle one day, I may not be around to uh, experience retirement and uh, my grandchildren, if I ever got that to that point. Um, I thought about my mom, who is in declining health, she's 92, and I thought about how my brother would tell her that I was gone, and I thought, he shouldn't tell her because I don't think she'd be able to handle it. And so I had a knot in the pit of my stomach because of the fear. That this knot in the pit of my stomach, um, and it was almost every, every single day. In fact, to be really honest with you, I probably thought about my condition, my situation, every single waking moment of the day. And that's how fear is. It just kind of overtakes you, and it kind of preoccupies every thought, every waking moment. It, it can consume you and it can stifle you. And it reminds me of the time that the Philistines hired a mercenary named Goliath to fight Israel. And the guy, he was a beast. He, he checked in at around nine feet tall. And the Bible says Goliath came out in the valley and taunted the people of Israel for 40 days straight. For 40 days straight, he came out and said, he demanded that they send someone out to fight him in a winner-take-all duel. Here's what 1 Samuel 17, 11 says. And by the way, you have a bay watch. That's what we call our program here. Inside your bay watch is a sheet, a blue-colored sheet with, the, with most of the verses listed there for you, not all of them. All the verses will, will be listed on the screen. And again, you can follow uh, our program uh, in, on your app if you'd like to do that. But 1 Samuel 17, 11 says this. When Saul, and that was the king, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so there they were. The mere sight of this guy struck fear in their hearts. And I want you to notice in this verse, it says here, when Saul, the king, and all Israel, all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In other words, fear consumed an entire nation. It engulfed an entire nation. Now, here's what I want to say about that. I don't believe God meant for us to live in fear. I really believe that. I don't, I don't believe that God meant for us to live in fear. And the reason why I believe that is because uh, there, are more than, there are more than 365 verses in the Bible in which we are instructed to fear not. 365 verses that say, fear not. God doesn't want us to fear. God doesn't want us to live in fear. That's one verse, fear not, for every single day of the year. I mean, even Jesus said repeatedly all throughout his ministry that we shouldn't be afraid. Let me give you some examples of what he said. These are four. I'm going to just put these on the screen. These are not on your, in your notes. But in Matthew 8, 26, Jesus asked, why are you afraid? And in Matthew 10, 28, he said, and do not fear. In Matthew 10, 31, he said, fear not. In Matthew 14, 27, he said, do not be afraid. I mean, these are just four examples out of the Gospel of Matthew, and there are dozens and dozens more in Matthew, and there are dozens and dozens more in Mark, Luke, and John. And so 
I think it's very clear that God never intended for us to live in fear. And yet, that's how so many of us live. We live in fear. And we all have fears. And we're all afraid. And there have been times when I have lived in fear. And this, certain, this experience has certainly been one of those times when I have had fear. So here's the question I wanted to broach with you today. And that is, how do we face our fears? How do we face our fears? Many of you who have been around know that Pastor Dave, last year Pastor Dave was diagnosed with tongue cancer. So here you are, you got five pastors and two of us have been diagnosed with cancer. Well, last year he was diagnosed with tongue cancer and he had to have surgery to move about half of his tongue. Now what they also needed to do, the surgeon also needed to reconstruct his tongue because they were going to remove half of it, which means it's, you know, it's very difficult to eat, it's impossible to talk. And so they took part of his some, some muscle from his leg and some muscle from his arm to reconstruct his tongue. And so this whole procedure, or I shouldn't call it a procedure, but this entire surgery took more than 12 hours. And as a result, I mean, after the surgery was complete, I mean, he had a brand new tongue, but he, he couldn't talk and he couldn't eat. It took a while. And so in order to, to feed him, and a feeding tube was inserted into his stomach uh, through his nose. In fact, Pastor Dave gave me permission to share this photo with you. This is the first time that we've, he's ever, we've ever shared this photo publicly. But that's kind of what he looked like after surgery with this feeding tube through his no, nose. On the second night that he was in the hospital after his surgery, he began to have difficulty breathing because of all the secretions and the fluids that gathered around that feeding tube. It just made it really hard for him to breathe. And there were times, he said, when he was literally gasping for air, like, oh, I can't breathe, that kind of thing. And, and every time the machine went off, you know, you go to the hospital and they put that little thing on, that little gizmo on your, your, fin, your finger, your index finger. That's to detect, that's to determine what your oxygen saturation is. Well, every time his oxygen saturation began to drop, his levels began to drop, uh, it would go off. Beep, 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 beep. And, and it was, a, you know, Pastor Dave told me it was, it was terrifying because all the nurses would run in and he would be gasping for air because he couldn't breathe because of that feeding tube. Pastor Dave told me that he was so afraid of, of what was going on because of that, that he couldn't sleep at night, that he didn't want to sleep at night because he was afraid that if he went to sleep, he would somehow stop breathing altogether and he would die. And he estimated, he told me he estimated that he got a total of three hours of sleep over four days because of how terrifying that was. That's fear. And I think that every one of us, any one of us would say that, yeah, we'd be afraid of that too. And I certainly would be afraid of that too. And what he experienced is nothing, or what I experienced, I should say, is nothing compared to what he went through. And what I experienced is nothing compared to what some of you have gone through. I think about Matthew and all that Matthew has gone through. Right, Vicki, your grandson? With his cancer, I mean, he has suffered so much. And, and, and so I've, what I've got experienced is nothing. So I, but I asked Pastor Dave, so how did you deal with that? How did, you, how did you get through that ordeal? How did you do that? And he told me that he just kept crying out to God. Every single moment, uh, waking moment, he was just crying out to God, holding on to God for dear life. God, I need you. God, help me. God, help me to breathe. God, get me through this. You know, one of the verses that came to mind during my bout with fear was Psalm 56, verse 3, uh, in which David said this, Psalm 56, verse 3, he said, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's what Pastor Dave did. 
when he was afraid that he couldn't breathe, he put his trust in God. In other words, David here stared down fear with faith. And that's what Pastor Dave did. He stared down fear with faith. You see, faith is the antidote to fear. And this is such a good verse, right, that, that you ought to memorize this verse. You ought to write it down somewhere. You ought to know exactly where to go. The next time you have fear, you can look at this verse and say, yeah, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I will trust in God. Let me give you one more. Take a look at Psalm chapter 27. All right, so if you're in 56, turn back. Psalm chapter 27. David wrote Psalm 27 at a very tumultuous time in his life. The backstory is that the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, Saul, hated David. He hated David. And so Saul engaged the services of a guy named Doeg to take David out. He hated David, so he says, I want this guy dead. So he engaged the services of a guy named Doeg. Doeg worked for Saul. But he was also a mass murderer. He had a mass murderer working for him. The Bible says that this guy was basically a paid assassin. But this guy had slaughtered dozens and dozens of men, women, and children. He was a mass murderer. And now he's basically a paid assassin. And his new assignment was to kill David on behalf of the king. And David knew that this guy was gunning for him. And that's when David wrote Psalm 27. He gives the, the, the psalm an entire different uh, you know, look, a different colors are completely different when you understand what the context is. And here's the first verse, just the first verse. Take a look at the first verse, Psalm 27, 1. David wrote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If you look at this verse, twice, twice in this verse, David asked the question, what is there to be afraid of? Why are you afraid? What is there to be afraid of? And sandwiched right in between these two questions is the statement, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And that's the answer, right? Why, why are you afraid? Why should you be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of your life. David wasn't afraid of Doeg because he had faith in the Lord. The Lord was the stronghold of his life. And I want you to get a, get a, uh, grab a pen and circle the word stronghold. The word stronghold in the Hebrew, this was written in Hebrew, but the word stronghold is the Hebrew word mauz. It is mauz. And it means a place of safety and protection. Mauz is frequently translated in English, fortress. So David said, the Lord is my fortress. He is my place of safety and protection. And that's why he wasn't afraid that a mass murderer was coming to get him. I mean, let me ask you something. What do you do when you're afraid? What do you do when you're afraid? Well, if you're young and you're a child, you might, you might, you know, cry out for your mommy or your daddy. You might hide under the covers. Maybe if you're afraid, you're going to go to the gun store and buy a gun. Maybe if you're afraid, you're going you're to call the police. What do you do when you're afraid? David said when he was afraid... He went to that place of safety and protection, Maus. He went to the Lord who was the stronghold of his life. And, and so you can write that one down. We can face our fears with faith. We can face it, our fears with faith. And, and I want to just add here, fears can be so, our fears can be so irrational, can't they? They can be so rational. They can, they're so all-consuming that it begins to take us in such a, to a place where we, we, we really don't need to be. For example... Uh, here's an example of how fears can be irrational. I mean, my shoulder pain. 
Uh, I mean, I thought all this was a convergence in like, oh man, the cancer is spread. It's in my back. It's in my stomach. It's in my shoulders. It's in my arms. It's everywhere. It's in my chest. And uh, my shoulder pain just turned out, and both sides turned out to be rotator cuff, right? The, the burning in my chest turned out to be in, indeed acid reflux. The back pain in my, and that was the accompanying stomach pain, which felt like muscle ache, turned out to be that my, our pet mattress was getting old and it was sinking in and, there, and it was too soft for me and I would wake up and, oh, it would hurt. And now that we've replaced the mattress, my back and my stomach are fine. But there are all these irrational fears that we have. We take, we take these things to places that they don't need to be at because of fear. So going back to my journey, this was a moment, um, there was a moment when fear welled up inside of me and, uh, and there was this knot in the pit of my stomach and, and it was debilitating. I mean, it was debilitating. And it, it sapped me of emotional and spiritual vitality. And that's when I realized that I had a decision to make. I had a decision to make. And the, the decision was this. Do I continue down this path of fear or do, I continue, do I, or do I choose faith? What do I do? Do I continue down a path of faith or fear or do I, or do I choose faith? If I continue down this path of fear, then it's going to continue to overwhelm me and it can destroy me. Or I can continue, or I can choose this path of faith, and I can trust God with, with all these things. And you know what I did? Well, I'm a pastor. I had to choose faith, right? I'm a pastor, so I chose faith, and I put my trust in God. And because I put my trust in God, no longer the fear just kind of went away. I didn't have any more fears. I mean, I didn't think about that. And, and all this, mind you, all this took place before I was even diagnosed, and then when I was diagnosed with cancer six weeks ago, yeah, it was a gut punch to my stomach. No doubt about that. I shared that with you in my message about a month ago. It was a gut punch to my stomach, but once I let that subside, I wasn't afraid. In fact, on the day of the surgery, I mean, I was at total peace when I went in to get this thing taken out. I mean, like, seriously, that's when I'm ready to go in. And I, they, they wheel me into the surgery room, and it's really bright in there, and there are all these doctors and nurses in there, and, and I just say, hey, man, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for, for taking care of me. Thank you so much. for the, I hope you're successful. And, and they say, oh, we, okay, we need to go to sleep now. Okay, be quiet. And, they, then they, and that's the last thing I remember. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, I hope you'll choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. Show, let me show you another picture. This is Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller was a Lutheran pastor in Germany at the time of Adolf Hitler. When the Nazis started rounding up all kinds of groups of people to, to, to put them on trial, to persecute them, and even to, to kill them, he remained silent as a pastor. He didn't say a word. Years later, he acknowledged his cowardice with this confession, he said, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. You see, Niemöller thought that Hitler would leave him alone if he didn't speak out against the atrocities that he was committing against all these people. But he was wrong. Hitler went after him too. Hitler went after everybody. And he, he sent the Gestapo to arrest him and put him on trial. On the morning of February the 7th, 1938, a guard came to Niemöller's cell. 
He was all shackled up, and he says, okay, let's go. And he was taking him to the courthouse, uh, which was not too far from there, so that he would be tried. And Niemöller said that when he came for him, all shackled up, he was, he was overcome with fear and loneliness. And he wondered what would happen to him. He wondered what would happen to his family. He, would want, he wondered whether they were going to be arrested and tried as well. And he said the guard's face was impassive and stoic. And then he says when they got to the final flight of stairs that led into the courtroom, Niemöller said he heard a voice. He said it was a quiet voice. It was a whisper. And he said he didn't know where it came from. And then he realized it was the guard who was whispering in his ear the words of Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are safe. And instantly, when Nemoler heard the word of God, the fear fell away. And his faith sustained him through trial and years in the Nazi concentration camp to which he was sentenced. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it, and they are safe. Likewise, I must tell you that the word of God sustained me and removed all my fears. It sustained me during this time, and it removed all my fears. Nearly every night, I read through the book of Psalms. And as I've told you before, I would start in Psalm 150, there are 150 chapters. I would start in 150, and I would move backwards. I don't know why I decided to do that, but I, that's how I read Psalms. Psalm 150, 149, 148, 147, 146. And when I get to Psalm 1, I would read it twice, and then read Psalm 2, 3, 4, all the way back up to 150, however long that takes me uh, to do that. And, and so I started reading the Psalms about this time nearly every night, starting in the middle. In fact, I've, I've got the date, starting in the middle of April. Just right after Easter, because that's when this started to happen, I started reading it. And every time I came across a verse in the Psalms, a verse that just jumped out at me, a verse that just moved me, a verse that just touched me or inspired me, I would highlight it or I would bookmark it. And because I was reading late at night when Cheryl was already asleep, I was reading this on my, on my uh, smartphone. I was reading it on my phone, my version Bible app, and it was very easy. I could highlight it with all different colors and I can bookmark it. And I was reading this over and over again, and every time I would do that, I would, I would let it, I would go back to it the, the day after, the day after, and I would let it, I would read it again, it would sink in. And I wanted to just share with you a few of the verses that I highlight over these last six months. Uh, and I probably highlighted 150 verses, but I chose just a few of them, just randomly, just a few of them uh, to read to you. And I want, I want to ask you to let the Word of God minister to you. These are not my words now. These are the words of God. And let them minister to you as they ministered to me. Psalm 30, verse 2. O Lord my God, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. Psalm 30, 10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. I made this my prayer. Psalm 31, 3. For you are my rock and my fortress, Mauz. You are my place of protection. You are my place of safety. Psalm 31, 16. Make your face shine on your servant. It's another prayer. 
Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And I read this verse, and I was in awe of who God was and what he did to create the universe. And then I jumped over to 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of all that he has done. He is my hope. Psalm 143.8. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Psalm 138.7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. And I didn't even know the extent to which, the extent of my trouble. But again, this was my prayer. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In Psalm 123, 1. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens. I lift, I look to God. Psalm 118, verse 13. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. And I felt like I was being pushed hard during this time. Isaiah 46, 4, boy, I love this verse since I'm so old now. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This was God's promise to me that he would be with me forever. Psalm 8, verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There is no one like our God. And these words, and so many others like it, just ministered to the depth of my soul. And, you know, a lot of people kept asking me, how are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? I said, I'm sleeping like a baby. Even, all, even though all this was going on, I was sleeping like a baby because the word of the Lord ministered to my heart. Every night I went to sleep reading these scriptures, and it was an opportunity for me to hear directly from, the, from God himself because that's what the Bible is, right? These are the very words of God. These aren't the words of man. These are the words of God. And that's why I, I would encourage you. I mean, read the Bible. Know the Bible. The word of God reminded me of who God is. He's a strong tower. He's my mahus. Reminded me how great he is. He can do anything. Reminded me how loving he is. He loves me. He cares about me. He loves you. Cares about you. And he is with us at all times. And so I found that, that I can face my fears with the word of God. And that's the next point there. We can face, we can face our fears with God's word, right? So, so, so read the Bible. Read it every single day, every single night. Several years ago, I read another book that really just really captured my heart. A book is titled Joker One. I put the cover up here for you. Joker One was written by a, a Marine, a, a Marine Corps platoon leader. His name is Donovan Campbell. And uh, Campbell wrote about, in Joker 1, about his account of leading uh, 40 men in his platoon through seven months of hell in the streets of Ramadi in Iraq, one of the most dangerous places on earth. And Joker 1 was their radio call sign. And every day these guys between the ages of 8 and 25 faced dangers and they lived in fear, the fear of being blown up by an IED, by, a, by an RPG, by, by AK-47s. And practically every day they were shot at for seven months. They were shot at. And some of them had their eyes blown out and their legs blown off and blood and guts were spilled and, and many of them died. It was horrible. They knew fear unlike any of us. Most of us will ever know fear. And you know what kept them going? You know what kept them going? Camel writes about this in his book. He says what kept them going was not hate. It wasn't hate for the enemy. 
He said what kept them going was love. What kept them going was love. He said love is why in the face of fear, his men surrounded him when he got tangled up in concertina wire. Love is why one of his men, Private First Class Yebra, ran in the middle of a firefight, even though he was injured, just to fix the radio so that they could have communication with headquarters. Love was why Corman Doc Camacho ran in the middle of the street, uh, with his, uh, waving his arms, begging the enemy, shoot me, shoot me, instead of shooting his comrades, his, his fellow Marines. Love was why Corporal Brooks walked backwards. He walked backwards as they patrolled the streets of, of Ramadi so that he would have their backs going, guarding their vulnerable rear. It was, it was love. It was their love for one another that conquered their fear. And that's what love does. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no love in fear, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And as I reflect, have reflected back on my journey, there is no question in my mind, there's no doubt in my mind that your love for me helped to drive out some of that fear. In the last month since I told you about my situation, I have received literally hundreds of emails and messages and texts and cards, some from people I don't even know, in which you encouraged me, in which you prayed for me. A bunch of you showed up at the hospital on the morning of my surgery, even though I told you not to, because the drive to the, West L- the hospital in West L.A. was horrible. I mean, we left at 6.30, and we still did. it took us nearly two hours to get there. We were, we were supposed to be there at 8, and we didn't get there until close to 8.30, and even though I told you not, please don't come, please don't come. I, I came out, they're ready to wheel me in. I said, they said we're going to go through the corridor. And I said, we, you've got some friends out there. And I just thought it was going to be my family. And there are all these people from church, right? And just all there. And, and I'm telling you, it was so encouraging, even though I, I, I asked you not to come. A bunch of you provided meals for me and my family. And every time I, I, I run into you in the, in the hallway or in the lobby the last few weeks, you always say to me, I love you, Pastor Gary. I love you, Pastor Gary. I have never felt more loved than in the last month. And I just have to share one hand-drawn card that, that was given to me by Cameron and Kara Cho. And it simply said, all their little artwork up there from Cameron, from Kara and Cameron, it says to Pastor Gary, I love you. And that made that made my day, that made my week, that made my month, right? That made my life. That's perfect love. And you know what it does? It casts out fear. And that's Cameron and, and Kara right there. They're so cute. I want to take them home with me, right? Perfect love casts out fear. And that's your final point. We can face our fears when we have love in our lives. We can face our fears when there is love, when we love each other. And where does that love come from, first of all? Well, first of all, that perfect love comes from God because only God's love is truly perfect. The love of Jesus for us is truly perfect. Our love is imperfect. Our love is necessary, but our love is imperfect. Second, yeah, the second place where love comes from is it comes from all of us, right? When we love each other. You know, as, you, as we learned the last couple of weeks, uh, we all have a cross to bear, don't we? We all have a cross to bear. 
is different for all of us. A cross basically is a, is a burden that we bear all, all by ourselves, all alone. Your cross may be that you have cancer. Your cross may be that you struggle with same-sex attraction. Your, your cross may be that you struggle from depression or loneliness. Your, struggle, your, your cross may be that you're 50 years old and you're single and, and the, the chances you'll ever get married are slim and none. Your cross may be that you're trapped in a loveless marriage or that you have some type of disability or that you're a parent of a, a child with autism. Or your cross may be that you can't have children at all. And if you carry your cross all by yourself, then it could destroy you. It can destroy you. This week, one of my daughter, my daughter Natalie's classmates at North High School apparently took his own life. It's been all over the news. This is Cade. He was a, a bright young man. 20 years old, a cadet at West Point. How many people ever get into West Point? Some of you know him, know his family. But like all of us, Cade carried a burden. And it's, it's very possible that nobody knew about what that burden was. Whatever it was, apparently he thought it was too big to overcome, and the only way out, he thought, he had to have thought was, that, was to end his life. But what do we know to be true about our burdens and our crosses? What we know is that nothing is too big for God, right? Nothing is too big to overcome with God's help. We can all get over those kinds of things. But how would Cade have known that? How would anyone know that unless somebody tells him that? How would, it, how would he or anyone else know that God can help him if we don't tell him that God loves him and that God can help him? And that's why it's so critical that we love each other, that we love each other so that we can help drive out each other's fears. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. That's why it's so important that we help carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as I close, church, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to do for others what you did for me in this last month. I want to challenge you to do for others what you did for me. And that's just love the people around you. Love them like crazy. Tell people here today, before you leave, tell a whole bunch of people here today before you leave that you love them. And if you're here today and, and you, you're here today and you're struggling with something, maybe you're struggling with a fear, or maybe you're struggling with a cross or a burden, and you're doing that all by yourself, don't do it by yourself any longer. Tell somebody. And maybe a good place to start would just would be with just members of our prayer team. I'm gonna ask our prayer team, if you're part of our prayer team, to stand along the walls after each service. And they're usually there almost every weekend after each service. They stand along the walls, or sometimes you can find them at the Connect Station. Usually they're wearing a T-shirt. But they would love to pray for you. They're such loving and compassionate people. Just stop by and say, hey, I just need prayer for something. And they will also keep your prayer requests confidential, but they'll pray for you. Or, and, and maybe if you're here today and you want to be part of that, and you, you, you're one of our ministry leaders, and even if you're not, and you want to just be part of praying for somebody, stand along the walls, and if somebody comes up to you, then pray for them. I hope that you will all love others like you love me. And, and when you come across somebody, and maybe you'll just come across somebody in your conversations in the lobby, when you come across somebody who's, maybe they're going to have a big test this weekend, maybe they're going to have an interview tomorrow, maybe they're struggling with cancer, or maybe they're having financial problems, or maybe they're struggling in their marriage, or maybe they're having problems with their parents, don't tell them you're going to pray for them. We say that all the time, right? Don't tell somebody you're going to pray for them. What do you do in instead? 
pray for them. Pray for them right then and there. Just pray for them. We call it on-the-spot prayer. Pray for them, and, and that's because God doesn't intend for us to live in fear. He didn't intend for us to live in fear. We can drive out fear with faith. We can drive it out by really focusing on the Word of God. We can drive out fear with love. So let's love. And let's do it so that there will never be another person who will take their own life because their fears are too great and because their burdens are too heavy. Let's do this in memory of Cade, that we would be a loving church. Amen? Let's close our time in prayer. Father God, first of all, I want to thank you so much for the journey that you've allowed me to experience these last six months. It's probably been the toughest time of my life, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because of all the things that you've taught me and for the way that you allowed me to experience love in a way that I, I never have before. I thank you for your love, God, and I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are our strong tower, our maus, our place of safety and protection. I thank you for all the people in this church and even outside of it who have loved me so much that they would help me to drive out fear. And Lord, I pray for all those here today who are overwhelmed with fear, who are carrying crosses that are too big for them to carry alone, who are burdened perhaps even with thoughts that the only way out is to end their lives. Oh, Father God, do a work in us and do a work in our church. that you would allow us, our faith, to rise to you. Do a work in us, Lord God, that would be, we would become people of your word. Do a work in us, God, that we would love each other like crazy so that there will never be another person who would ever think that the only way out is to end their life. Father, thank you for being our maus, our place of protection, our place of safety. Take our fears. We choose the path of faith. Help us to walk in faith with you, that we would be the people you want us to be. Lord, we love you. And we thank you in Jesus' name.